Well, good morning. If this is your first time joining us, we are in our second of four weeks studying the Old Testament book of Haggai. And Haggai is all about first things first. It's about keeping the main thing the main thing. And for Haggai, the main thing is rebuilding God's house, the temple. Now, to understand why Haggai is so intent that God's people rebuild God's house, we have to remember from last week the significance of the temple. You see, in the Bible... The temple is where God's presence dwells with God's people. Temple is where God's presence dwells with God's people. And for Old Testament Israel, the physical temple that Solomon built was the very center of their worship, their community, and their mission. The very things we emphasize here at City Light. The temple was where the people would gather and worship, where they would come together and minister to one another, living out their life as a covenant community. And it's where the nations were to come and see the glory of God and be saved by him. The temple was the center of worship, community, and mission, where God's presence dwells with God's people. And when Haggai wrote, the temple was in ruins. See, in 586 B.C., the Babylonians come to Jerusalem, they conquer the city, they exile the people, and they destroy the temple. But then in 538 B.C., the exiles are permitted to come back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city and the temple, and the rebuild project begins really well. But then opposition arises, and the people quit building God's house, and they get busy building their own houses. And 18 years later, the people are still saying, now's not the time. Now's not the time for us to rebuild God's house. And in the midst of that, Haggai speaks. And he says, no, my friends, now is the time. Despite all that's going on around you, despite the craziness of your lives, now is the time to build God's house. Now, don't miss the significance of the temple. Haggai's not simply calling them to resurrect a physical structure. He's calling them to return to worship, community, and mission. He's calling them back to putting God first because where God is second... God is rejected. And so he commands them, now's the time to build God's house. And this morning, as we press into Haggai 1, 12 to 15, God is going to follow up his command with a promise. See, the promise to every person who embraces now as the time to build God's house is this, and it's the big idea of our passage this morning, the promise that the Lord empowers the building. The Lord empowers the building. Remember, Haggai calls to a people who are busy building their own houses, and he says, after 18 years, now is the time. And you better believe, just like us, God's word is a bit overwhelming to them. And so the command is followed by the promise. 
I will empower the building. And the Lord empowers the building, we'll see in our passage, in three ways. First, through his word. Then secondly, through his presence. And then finally, through his stirring. You see, Haggai has called them to something that is impossible in their own strength. And so he follows the command with the promise. The Lord empowers the building. And he does it first, we'll see, through his word. Haggai 1, verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. I don't want you to miss the significance of what's going on here. The Lord is empowering them to build by commanding them to build. The Lord is empowering them to build first by telling them that they need to through his word. See, remember last week we learned that these people are actually somewhat affluent, but they're not satisfied. That's life with God in second place. Full, but never satisfied. And they're not satisfied because in all of their building, they're neglecting the one they were built for. And so God's word comes to them and it's the word that begins the work. It's the word that empowers them to see that they've strayed and calls them back. The first way that God renews our relationship with him again and again is by continually calling us to renewal through his word. It's the word that empowers the work. That's the first way that the Lord empowers them to build. Now, having said that, I want to put a quick parenthesis here because something is going on related to God's word in this passage that is absolutely stunning and I don't want to miss it. So let's put a quick parenthesis here and we're going to do a little systematic theology. You guys ready for this? If we master this, you will be the most popular people at the next party you go to, okay? Because I don't want us to miss that in this passage, something stunning is happening. The people treat the prophet Haggai's words as God's words. They treat the prophet's words as God's words. Verse 13 describes beautifully what's happening. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people the Lord's message. In the New Testament, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, Peter describes what's going on in Haggai 1, and he says... For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So this is describing what theologians call the inspiration of Scripture. And the Apostle Paul applies this principle to the whole of the Bible when he says all Scripture is breathed out by God. See, what I don't want you to miss is that Haggai and Peter and Paul are teaching us what theologians call, and you guys ready for this? This is the term that's going to make you ever popular. 
They're teaching the doctrine of plenary verbal inspiration. That's right. You can bow your heads. That's fine. Plenary verbal inspiration of Scripture is what's being taught here. And what that doctrine teaches is this. Every word found in the Bible is given to us by God, verbal. Everything in the Bible is authoritative, plenary. And every word is also divinely directed, that is, inspired. I don't want us to miss the wonder of what we have with the Bible. See, the inspiration of Scripture, very simply, is the doctrine that what the Bible says is what God says. Let's not miss the wonder that we have the book that God has written, and it's the Word that begins the work. The first way God empowers us to build is by telling us we must through His Word. Now, why do I camp out on that? It's not simply to make you more popular theologians. The reason I camp out on that is because the word we heard from Haggai last week was a hard word. If you weren't here, Haggai says to a people that are going through an insane season of life, now's the time to rebuild God's house. And that's true of many of us, right? Everything in life is nuts right now. It's like new career, new marriage, new kids, new school. I'm busier than I've ever been. And now's just not the time to put God first. I gotta get my, you know, my work off the ground. I've got to get my marriage in this particular place. I've got to get my kids to the point where they just are, it's not World War III to get them to Citigroup or to a Sunday gathering. And we go, now's not the time. And Haggai says, no, now is the time because you aren't too busy, you aren't yet satisfied, and God is worthy. If God is second, God is rejected. It was a hard word. And I don't know about you, but I'm tempted to be like, can we just move beyond that? Maybe if enough days pass, we could just ignore what we heard. Which is the same as rejecting it. But when we keep in mind that what the Bible says is what God says, then we keep in mind we can't ignore it. And we can't reject it. We can't move past it. We have to tremble before it as they did. I know that the word from Haggai was a hard word. It was certainly for me. And it's tempting to believe that hard words are condemning words. Don't make that mistake. The promise of the gospel is that there is that now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The reason there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus is because Jesus has already taken all of our condemnation for all our sins, past, present, and future on the cross, which means when God's word confronts you, it is not intended to condemn you, but to renew you. When God's word cuts against every grain of your being, like some of you, you heard last week, Now is the time to build God's house. And just everything in you is like, do you even know what I'm going through? And the answer is no, I don't. But sometimes it seems like I I might. Last week, 
a young woman came in late during the service, heard me preaching, and I was talking about how we need to build God's house even if we're like in the insane season of medical residency or if we just bought our own physical house. She comes up afterwards and she goes, how did you know? Like, what are you talking about? She's like, about a month and a half ago, I started studying for my boards and I just said, God, I know you'll forgive me. I don't have time for you until these boards are over, especially because I just bought a new house and I've been remodeling it. She's like, how did you know? Of course I didn't, but that's God's word graciously calling us back. It's his word that begins the work. And if you're in Christ, remember, Whenever God's word cuts against every grain of your being, no matter what he's calling you to, remember that in Christ, his word is not to condemn you, but to renew you. And so let's respond to it. When we hear God's word, even if it's a hard word that cuts against every grain in our being, let's respond to it like they did in Haggai's day. They feared and they obeyed. One of my chief prayers for us as a church over this next year is Isaiah 66, verse 2. It's the Lord speaking. He says, But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Let's be a people who when the Bible speaks, we go, God is speaking and I tremble, which means I don't just hear it, I wanna love it and obey it. The first way God empowers the work is through calling us to it through his word. Now, sometimes when his word comes to us, as for many of us last week, it's a frightening word. And that brings us to the second way that God empowers the building. And it's through his presence. His presence. Haggai 1, verse 13. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, and here it is. I am with you, declares the Lord. He commands them to build, and then he says, I am am with you. You ever wondered, why does he say that? The answer is in discerning what the most common command in the Bible is. You know what the most common command in the Bible is? Fear not. It's the most common command in the Bible. You want to know the most common reason given why we should fear not? Because I am with you. Throughout the Bible, whenever God says, I am with you, it's almost always because his people are afraid. And it's no different for the people in Haggai's time. They've been building their own houses to the neglect of God's house for 18 years. Then the Lord says, now is the time. I don't care if you just had a baby. I'm just trying to apply this to myself. I don't care if you just had a baby. Now's the time to build God's house. And you know what they say? They say, okay, we're going to do it. We're going to be obedient. We're, I'm making the commitment. I'm going to follow you, Lord. I'm going to put you first because I know to put you second is to reject you. But they're understandably afraid. They're understandably afraid because obedience may be very 
costly to them. And the reality is, when we are afraid to obey, logic simply won't do. You ever notice that logic is just no match for our fears? If you want to prove this, just try reciting the statistics about the safety of air travel to people who are afraid to fly. These statistics are overwhelming. Air travel is incredibly safe. Just try reciting them to someone who's terrified to fly. It never works. In fact, it just annoys them. But it never works. Why? Because when we're afraid, our fear is so much more powerful than logic. That's why when you come to church, you don't come to hear how good you are and how great you are. That simply won't do. It won't strengthen or empower you. No, we come and we gather together to hear how great He is because when we're afraid to obey Him, when we come face to face with what it will cost us to seek first His kingdom, the only thing powerful enough to calm our fears is the promise that the one who is greater than anything we could be afraid of is with us no matter what we're called to. It's his presence alone that can calm our fears. Unfortunately, God's presence, God's covenant presence is actually the one thing that we as sinners are forbidden from. We learned last week that actually the first temple in the Bible is the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden was a garden temple, where the first place where God dwelt with his people. Do you remember what happened to Adam and Eve after they sinned? They got kicked out of God's presence. You see, sin separates us from a holy God because in order to enter into his presence, we have to be sinless and clean. Even in Solomon's temple, only the high priest could actually come into the holiest place where God's presence dwelt. And even he, only once a year. And to come, he had to offer a sacrifice for his sins. And even worse, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, tells us that it's actually impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. You see, the New Testament teaches that every sacrifice in the temple was pointing forward to the true sacrifice, Jesus Christ, the only one who could actually, by his blood, usher us in to God's presence. Listen to how the author of Hebrews describes what Christ has done to secure us God's covenant presence. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. You see, the call to return to building God's house was scary 
to these people. Imagine what it might cost them. They might have to neglect building their own houses and they might face opposition once again. And for us today, imagine the cost of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in every aspect of life and in every decision. I mean, imagine the cost. You said, I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God with my finances, with my sexuality, with my relationships, with my career, with my family, with my kids, with my time, with my priorities, in my ministry. It's frightening. And the one thing, the only thing that can calm our fears Oh, when we're called to obey, the only thing that can calm our fears is the presence of the one who is greater than anything we could be scared of. And it is God's presence that we can bound into now through the blood of Jesus Christ. God empowers the building through his word and through his presence. But how in the world are we actually going to do the work? It's like, okay, great, like you've called me to do the work, and now you've told me I don't have to be afraid because you're with me, but I still don't feel like I can actually do it. And that brings us to the third way that God empowers the building, and it's through his stirring. Through his stirring. Finally, Haggai writes, and the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. God empowers the building by stirring them up. God's stirring is his ongoing presence to empower us for what he calls us to do. God's stirring is his ongoing presence to empower us for what he's called us to do. My friends, I have wonderful news for you. God has not called you to build his house, you know, to give yourselves to worship, community, and mission to put him first. God has not called you to build his house because you're able. He's called you because he is able and he intends to do great things through you. He's not called us because we're able. I don't know, in this season of life for you, I don't know how the Lord is specifically calling you to build his house. I have some ideas, but I don't know for sure. I have some ideas, and I'll actually read some of them to you, because we have to understand, what's it mean for New Covenant believers to build God's house if we're not rebuilding physical temples since Jesus has come? Well, what does it mean then for us to build God's house? I'm going to read a few ideas that one of our pastors, Mark Giacobbe, wrote. I think they are gold. Keep put this into, we put this into sort of three categories. We build God's house first through worship. Mark wrote, In that the temple is the place where God and humanity meet, we build the temple by trusting in Jesus Christ as the only means of access to God forever. 
In that the temple is the place of worship, surely building the temple means cultivating a heart of worship and joyful intimacy with the Lord. In that the temple is the holy place of holy worship, surely building the temple means cultivating personal holiness, a whole life devoted to God. Then in the category of community, in that the community of believers is the new temple, surely build it, by the way, he did write surely into each of these quotes, surely building the temple means building up one another in love through formal and informal ministry so that we can all enjoy communion with and conformity to Christ. And then in the category of mission, in that the community of believers is the new temple, surely building the temple means adding to the number of believers, that is evangelism. In that the whole world is once again to be the temple of God, even as it was in the beginning, surely building the temple means filling the earth with the glory and worship of God, that is cross-cultural mission. I don't know specifically in this season how God is calling to you to build his house, but here's what I do know and here's what I can promise you. Whatever he has called you to, he will enable you for. He has not called you because you are able, but because he is able. He will not call you to go anywhere without being present with you wherever you go. I think Paul Tripp has uh, said it best in his parenting book, but these quotes can apply to anything, not just parenting. He says, God never calls you to a task without giving you what you need to do it. He never sends you without going with you. God did not create humans to be independently able. He he designed us to be dependent. I love this. He calls you to do the impossible so that in your search for help, you would find more than help you would find him. God doesn't ask us to be able. He asks us to be willing. If you are willing, he will meet you in your weakness and change you. And as he changes you, he will work good things through you. God will never call you to build without empowering you for it through his word, his presence, and his stirring. My friends, if you're in Christ, as you build the Lord's house, here is the promise. Jesus Christ, the temple and the builder, is always with you, empowering you. Jesus Christ not only tells us to build through his word, Jesus actually was the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ doesn't just call us to obey the Father's voice, he actually obeyed perfectly on our behalf even when it meant death on a cross for him so that our sins could be taken away. 
Jesus Christ has, through his resurrection, promised to be present with us always. He's ushered us into the presence of the Father and indwelt us with the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is always stirring us up, renewing us in our love for God, one another, and our neighbors. My friends, we have everything we need through Jesus Christ to build because Jesus is the temple and he is the builder and whatever he calls us to, he empowers us for. And so as we respond now to what we've heard, let's fix our eyes once again, not on ourselves, but on Jesus, the true temple and the builder. And we're going to fix our eyes on him in a few ways now in the next part of our worship gathering. First, we're going to fix our eyes on him by partaking in communion. You'll notice there are tables in front and in back, and you can partake in the Lord's Supper anytime during the next three songs if you're a follower of Jesus. But I want to remind you of the significance of this meal. When we tear off a piece of bread, symbolizes Jesus' body broken for us, and dip it in the cup that symbolizes his blood shed for us, what we're remembering is that we are ushered into God's presence through the blood of another. We've been sprinkled clean through the blood of Jesus Christ and we are remembering again all that he's done for us as we partake in this meal because all of the building, all of the doing of the Christian life flows out of the done of Jesus' person and work. In addition to partaking in communion, I, I do wanna say that if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you're not yet a committed follower of Christ, instead of coming to the communion tables, I actually want to invite you this morning to come to Jesus for forgiveness of sins. The meal is a meal of remembering what Jesus has done, but if you're not yet a follower of his, I'd like you to come to him before you come to the meal. And you can become a follower of Jesus. You can begin that journey simply today by confessing to Jesus that you're a sinner deserving condemnation. Say, Jesus, I believe I deserve condemnation by what I've done. But I believe that I can be forgiven of all my sins because of what you've done on the cross. Would you forgive me and lead me a whole life long? And if that's you, if today you want to you, you wanna begin that journey of following Jesus, let us know on your Connect card so we can follow up with you. In addition, I want to invite you to pray. If Jesus is stirring things in you, both about building and his power to build, you can pray right where you are and there'll be folks in the back underneath the prayer signs. They'd love to pray with you about anything going on in your life. But let's be a people that, you know, we, let's lay hold of God in prayer. Let's not merely hear what he says, but say, God, would you help me to tremble at your word? And then, of course, we will stand together to praise him because we worship the God who is great and glorious, who forgives all of our sins and ushers us into his presence through the blood of Christ. It's in worship that we remember, I'm here not to celebrate how great I am, but how glorious he is. Because it's in our praise that we are renewed again and again by the temple to build the temple. So let's pray and we'll respond as the Spirit leads each and every one of us. Would you stand as I pray for us?